I invite you to open your Bibles to Acts chapter 10. We're going to lead, uh, read a, a long section actually today. We've got these narratives, and so it doesn't make sense to break these narratives down into little sermons, but rather let's cover a large section. We've got a great story here, one of the most, I think, significant stories in the book of Acts because we see that Jesus is on the move, and we see him on the move here for a whole new segment of people that haven't been reached with the gospel yet, and we'll, re- we'll see that here in just a moment, but that follow along as I read aloud Acts chapter 10, verses 1 through 48, and try and focus. We've got a lot of verses here to cover, all right? It says this, at Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort, a devout man who feared God with all his household, gave alms generously to the people, and prayed continually to God. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius. And he stared at him in terror and said, what is it, Lord? And he said to him, your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon who is called Peter. He's lodging with one Simon, a tanner whose house is by the sea. When the angel spoke to him, had departed, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those who attended him. And having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. The next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. And he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance and saw the heavens opened and something like a a great sheet descending being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I've never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him again a second time, What God has made clean do not call common. This happened three times, and the thing was taken up at once to heaven. Now, while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision that he had seen might mean, behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate and called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter was pondering the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. And Peter went down to the men and said, I'm the one you are looking for. What is the reason for your coming? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man who is well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send for you, to come to his house and to hear what you have to say. So he invited them in to be his guests. The next day he rose and went away with them, and some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. And on the following day, they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up, uh, Peter lifted him up, saying, "Stand up! I too am a man." And as he talked with him, he went in and found many persons gathered. And he said to them, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. 
I ask then why you have sent for me. And Cornelius said, Four days ago, about this hour, I was praying in my house at the ninth hour. And behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your alms have been remembered before God. Send therefore to Joppa and ask for Simon, who is called Peter. He's lodging in the house of Simon, a tanner by the sea. So I sent for you at once, and you've been kind enough to come. Now therefore, we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him on the third day and made him to appear, not to all, all the people, but to us who have, had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be the judge of the living and the dead. To him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speak in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to remain for some days. What a passage. A very instrumental passage in the book of Acts. Remember, the book of Acts is written by Luke. He was a physician, one who took a detailed account that he had written for one person specifically, but with a broader audience, I believe. This person's name is Theophilus, and, and he writes in the Gospel of Luke and continues the story in Acts to show the works of Jesus Christ that he did while on earth and the works that Jesus was continuing to do through his apostles by sending the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts. Last week we saw that Peter was kind of, I think, feeling maybe a little bit of a stall in the spread of the ministry that Jesus had called them to do. But Peter goes along to several towns and, and he finds uh, Aeneas and he finds Tabitha. Aeneas had been paralyzed and, and the power of Jesus, as Peter showed up, the power of Jesus healed Aeneas in a moment. And not only that, but Peter then went to another town, to Joppa, and he found a group of people who had been mourning and weeping because their precious sister, Tabitha, also called Dorcas, had been, had, died, had been ill and died. And Peter was there, and as he was praying, the Lord directed him to tell Tabitha to arise, and God rose Tabitha from the dead. Amazing stuff. We saw that Jesus heals because he shows us that he is the author of life. 
And we found that just when you might think in the story, well, maybe Jesus is done. Maybe the gospel isn't going to go much further. We saw that Jesus was on the move. And the challenge for us is to ask ourselves, is Jesus on the move in Fairfax, Virginia in 2023? Is Jesus on the move? But we also see here that, that, that it was kind of uh, still kind of limited. Jesus was on the move, but he was on the move among the Jews. The, the people of God had been going back, uh, going all the way back to Genesis. These Jews, these Israelites, God had called them to be his very special people. And it started with that very special man all the way back in Genesis chapter 15 when God called Abram, Abraham, Genesis 12 actually, called Abraham. And he said, you are going to be the father of a nation, my special people. And God called them, and, and this whole nation grew out of this one man. And, and we saw that the gospel was going to this group of people, to the Jews. But, but would it be limited there? I mean, it was, it was spreading, but, but would it go any further? See, the next frontier for the, the ministry of the good news from the apostles would be to go to the Gentiles, and, and it's really to the nations, the, the non-Jews, and, and many of those non-Jews that were living in this area were Roman soldiers, Romans, and, and, and while these people, these Gentiles, were geographically close to Jerusalem, while they were geographically close to the Jews, many of these Gentiles felt a thousand miles away. God-fearing Jews had very little to do with the Gentiles. How could the gospel ever reach peoples who were so far from God? Again, not geographically, but in, in religion and in ideology and in, in mission and purpose of life. They were so far from God. Is the gospel deep enough? Is the gospel rich enough? Is the gospel powerful enough to reach people that just seem thousands of miles away? You likely know someone who seems far from God. Geographically, they may be very close to you. In fact, they may share the same address that you have. But you feel like there's just too much to overcome. Maybe it's a different religious or maybe it's a non-religious background that just seems too difficult to overcome. Maybe it's cultural barriers or language barriers Maybe it's ideological or political differences. Maybe this, this someone that you might be thinking about even now, maybe they're just a, a religious, what's, what's called today a nun, a religious nun. They don't, they don't have any religious affiliation. Maybe they're atheistic or agnostic, meaning that they're, they're not even sure if there is a God. Or, or maybe they're relativistic. Hey, your God's good for you. My God's good for me. All, all, the, all the religions are equally valid, right? This barrier that seems like it is just humongous. How can the gospel ever reach someone like this? Maybe it's ethical differences that get in the way. Maybe it's the sexual ethics between the, the ethics of the world and the ethics of the God of the Bible. Maybe it's social concerns that just seem humongous that we could never ever find a way to bridge that gap. Now, see, the Gentiles of, of Peter's day, they were so close geographically, yet they were so far. How would they ever be reached? How would your someone, your someone that you may be thinking of right now, how could they ever be reached? And as we look at our text here, we got a lot to cover. I'm going to move quickly here because we've got a great family chat later, by the way. Stick around, all right? But here's our big idea this morning. Because Jesus is Lord of all, 
the gospel can go to all. Since Jesus demonstrated that he is God's chosen Messiah in the world, his message of peace and forgiveness can go to the whole world. Because Jesus is Lord over all, including Lord over your someone that you may be thinking of this morning, his good news can go to all, including that someone you may be thinking of this morning. So let's take a look at it. How does this text show us this? Because Jesus is Lord of all, the gospel can go to all. We're going to see several movements. Again, this is a narrative, so it's not necessarily a lecture. It's a, it's a narrative. So we want to, we want to uh, respect and appreciate that this is a story. So the first thing that we see, the first scene, is that this man, Cornelius, receives a vision. Cornelius receives a vision. Now, we see in verse 1 this Cornelius, he's a centurion. He was a commander over a, a hundred soldiers, and they were often a part of a, a larger grouping of like six to seven hundred soldiers. He had a lot of authority, and he was over, uh, over the, this group of men in the Roman army. Now, the, the Jews, they detested the Roman occupation. They believed, the Jews did, that they were enslaved as much as their ancestors were. Their ancestors were at one time exiled and enslaved in Babylon, which was then taken over by Persia hundreds of years before this time that we read about in the book of Acts. But if you go back several thousands of years, even before that, God's people were enslaved in Egypt. And so here they were, waiting in Peter's day, waiting for God to perform a new exodus to set them free. God, they were assuming God has to judge the Romans. God has to punish these Romans. Get them out of our land. God set up your Messiah king in the land and let us rule over this world once again like we did under the great king David and Solomon thousands of years before. So, Lord, we want you to punish these Romans, not save these Romans. These are detestable dogs. Get rid of them. But we see about this Cornelius that he was not just any Roman soldier. In fact, we have four characteristics that are described of him. In in verse 2 of chapter 10, it says that he was devout. He was a devoted man to doing what was right. He feared God, and not just any God, but he respected the God of the Jews, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He was a Roman, he was a Gentile, but living there in Palestine, coming across these Jews, he saw there was something unique and significant about the God they worshipped, and he feared their God. We know from Proverbs 3, right, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of Wisdom, oh good, right, the beginning of wisdom, right? So we see that this man at least had a a sliver, a small, tiny spark of wisdom as he feared the God of Israel. But not only that, this this fear of God uh, moved him out to be generous. He gave alms and, and cared for the hurting, and then he also prayed continually. Now, that doesn't mean that this man then deserved to experience what we read about in this section, but it does show us that Cornelius had an open heart to the God of Israel. He had an open heart to receive the salvation of the Lord of Israel. His prayers and alms, it says in verse 4, had ascended to God. This is similar language to the offerings of God's people in the Old Testament under the sacrificial system. They would burn offerings and it would rise and ascend to heaven as a pleasing aroma to God. That's how God viewed Cornelius' good deeds and generosity. God saw a man whose heart was drawn to the God of Israel. This man was open to the God of the Jews 
He hadn't earned God's favor. He still needed the gospel. He still needed to be saved, but his heart was open and prepared to receive the good news. And, And he hears this voice. He sees this angel and he says, I want you to go and send for this man named Peter who's living about 30 miles from where you are. Do you see God's pursuit of this man? You know, we wonder sometimes, is is God on the move? And right in these pages, it gives us hope for that someone that we think could just be so, so far away. Even when we don't see it, even when we don't realize it, God could be at work in their lives to draw people to himself. He's given himself a witness in the world that he's created. All human beings, as we look at the waves of the sea and the birds of the air and the stars of the sky, all of creation is declaring God's glory to all of humanity. Friends, God may be at work in the life of your someone right here, right now, in ways that you know nothing about. Have hope. Jesus is on the move. Jesus is on the move. Well, he wasn't just on the move for Cornelius. He was on the move for Peter as well. In fact, he was going to move Peter out. And we see in the next section, Peter receives a vision. Cornelius got one. Then Peter receives a vision. And Peter sees this just this weird scene, right? And it's weird. I, I read it and I'll just, hey, man, I'm teaching the Bible here, but I'll, I'll admit it with you. This is kind of a weird scene, right? He sees three times this, this white sheet that's coming down from heaven. And it's on this sheet, it's, it's filled with like all these birds and animals and reptiles and stuff. I almost remember playing as a little kid and you get a big blanket and you'd like pull the blanket together or parachute and these balls or something would float up in the air. I almost imagine like there's angels maybe pulling it and these animals are just kind of popping up and down. I don't know. It doesn't say that, but I, I can't help but imagine that, Right. And so Peter sees this great sheet descending filled with animals, including birds and reptiles. But what's interesting about these is that as Peter sees them, he understands them to be animals that were considered unclean and off limits to kill and eat under the old code, under the old covenant, under the old agreement that God had made with his people Israel. That's the covenant of Moses. If you know your Bible, you go back to the Old Testament. The first several books of the Bible are considered they're called the Pentateuch. And we see that in Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy that God made a covenant with his people Israel. In fact, Leviticus chapter 11 gets really specific talking about these types of animals. Of course, they weren't to eat uh, certain animals we know as as. Pigs. I mean, today, uh, Jews, uh, they don't eat pork, but it goes beyond that. They don't eat uh, reptiles and, and, and uh, uh, shellfish and, and things like that. There are certain kinds of birds that were off limits as well for the, for the Jews to be able to eat. And that's what Peter sees. He sees all these animals that, that he knows, these are off limits. And yet he hears this voice. He hears this voice and says, I want you to take up and I want you to kill and I want you to eat. Now, Peter is kind of disturbed by this. He doesn't understand exactly what's going on. And, and he's saying, Lord, I, I've, I've never done such a thing. But, but God is showing that he's the creator of all creatures. He's bringing this sheet down and he's saying, I want you to kill and eat. You see, we not, must understand that these animals aren't inherently unclean in of themselves. No, God created all things. He declared that all that he made, including all animals in Genesis chapter 1, were good. However, when God redeemed his chosen people out of, Israel, uh, out of Egypt, his people Israel, he made a covenant, an agreement with them. 
He said, I am choosing you, Israel, Exodus 19, 5 says, to be my treasured possession among all the peoples, to be a kingdom of priests, and to be a holy nation. You see, these food and dietary laws, they weren't the way that they could be made right with God, but they were the means through which they would be God's distinct people from all the other peoples of the world. And God said, I'm not doing this so that you would seclude yourselves from people, but that you could be shown as distinct and the world would see that I am your God. They were to represent the God of heaven to the world through this distinction. But we see here in Acts chapter 10, verses 13 to 16. There came a voice to Peter, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, by no means, Lord, I've never eaten anything that is common or unclean. I'm not going to do that. But listen to God's response. The voice came to him again a second time. What God has made clean, do not call common. You see that there? God's not commanding Peter to violate the law of Moses. No, he's he's declaring to Peter that something better than the law of Moses has come. You see, what was considered unclean at one time under an old agreement, under an old covenant, God is now saying, I've done something new, and I am now declaring that all these animals, all these foods are now clean for you, Peter. This is a new era. This is a new covenant. This is a new agreement. Jesus, the last night, the night he was betrayed before he he went before the Jewish leaders and then was crucified the next day, he broke bread with his disciples, and he poured out wine, and he said, Take this cup. It is the new covenant, the new agreement that I am making with my people. Jesus is the initiator of something new that had never come before. And through that newness, God was declaring, I have made all things clean. All things clean. Boy, I sure am glad that's clean. I love some good bacon on a Saturday morning. My goodness. It goes on to say in, in verses 28 to 31 that, that Peter is, is coming to realize something. And this conversation isn't primarily about food. You see, it says in verses 28 to 31 that, that Peter says to this, this group, uh, when he visits Cornelius, he says, You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or visit anyone of another nation. Something was going on where the, the Jews, under their uh, understanding of the law, not because they didn't want to violate God's law, they created these barriers. Not only do we not want to touch these things that are unclean, these animals or these food, but we don't want to be in contact with the people who may be eating these things and doing these things. You see, there was a big problem in the history of Israel. These people would intermarry with, with the Gentiles, and then instead of the Jews leading the Gentiles to honor the God of Israel, the Jews actually uh, followed the practices of the Gentiles in worshiping their gods. And so they realized, we can't do this any longer. We've got to separate. We're not even going to go into a house of a Gentile. But, but Peter is, is reciting this, and he's saying, you know that it's unlawful under our code for a Jew to associate with or visit anyone of another nation. But he remembers the vision, and he realized that God is doing something new. God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. You see, friends, this was far more than about eating meat. This was about fellowship. This was about sitting at the table together in God's household. Jews could eat with Gentiles because God has declared the Gentiles, along with all their foods, to be clean. 
This is good news. The barrier was removed. The gospel could go to all. And here Peter, as he's called, he comes into Cornelius' house and he says, I would have never done this yesterday. I would have never walked into this Gentile's house. Certainly a Roman soldier's house. I mean, they got, they got pork chops that they're serving up later. I mean, they, they've got all kinds of practices that they do that are so far and so foreign. It feels like we were a thousand miles away yesterday, but yet here I am in this house doesn't make any sense to me, but God has declared that this household is clean. There isn't a barrier any long between us because of the foods we eat or the fact that I am a Jew and you are a Gentile. And so it gives Peter this opportunity. And we see then that the gospel is preached to Gentiles, to non-Jews. I love verses 34 to 35. Peter opens his mouth, and the first thing that he says to Cornelius is this. Truly, I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. So Peter is saying, God sees the face of all without partiality. Whoever would come may come. A Gentile formally had to become a Jewish proselyte to be in God's family. Outsiders had to become insiders, but God was doing something new. At this moment, Peter is declaring, friends, most of us in this room are Gentiles. This is some of the most good news that any of us could hear. We're so far removed from this. Most Christians today are Gentiles, not Jews. But up to this time, there were almost no Gentile believers in Jesus. And God is showing that something new is happening. This is good news for us. God does not show partiality according to ethnicity, race, cultural background, or language. But in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. Whoever would come may come. A Gentile formerly had to become a Jewish proselyte, but now this outsider could become an insider. God was doing something new. He was pursuing the outsiders. In fact, through Jesus, no one is considered an outsider any longer. All are clean and welcome to come into God's family through Jesus Christ. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. But how could this be? How could this be? Why? Why is this true? I think that Peter gives the answer, which is the key to understanding this whole story in Acts 10.36. 10.36 says this, As for the word that God sent to Israel, preaching the news, good news of peace through Jesus Christ, He is Lord of all. Jesus Christ is Lord of the Jews. Jesus Christ is Lord of the Gentiles. He is Lord of all. And because he is Lord of all, this good news of Jesus Christ can go to all. Good news. Good news. I, I mean, put yourself in Cornelius' sandals for a moment, right? There you are, this Roman soldier. And you're seeing this, this light and hope from this, this God that these Jewish people that I'm called to lead, there's just something about this God. And, and I'm reaching for this God, and, and I want to know this God, but every time I try and reach out, I just feel this, this barrier between me and the God of these Jewish people. 
They like the generosity that I'm showing, and I think they respect my devotion, but there's still a barrier. How could I ever make this God my own? And it's not until Peter comes and preaches the good news of Jesus and declares to him, Cornelius, I'm learning something right along with you. Yesterday, I would have never believed it, but Jesus Christ is not just my Lord. He is Lord of all. He could be your Lord here today, Cornelius, if you put your faith in him. Friends, this is where the gap is bridged, not just geographically, but, but when we feel like that someone is thousands of miles away, we have hope because Jesus is Lord of all. He's Lord of all. Philippians chapter 2 is amazing. It, the Apostle Paul describes what God the Father has done in sending his son Jesus, who, who was obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And it says in Philippians 2 that God raised him and exalted him to the highest place. Why? So that every knee, Jew and Gentile, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. He's Lord of all. He's Lord of all. And Peter comes to the conclusion in verse 43 that everyone, everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name because Jesus is Lord of all. What good news for Gentiles today, friends. You know, sometimes we can get a little arrogant as Gentiles. I, I'm guilty of this too. We feel like Christianity is, is a religion that's, that's kind of centered around our people group, our culture, our language. Friends, I, we don't have time to look at it today, but Romans 10 is clear. We're not naturally in this flow of being the recipients of God's grace. We at one time were outsiders. If you were born prior to this day, you, you would have been considered an outsider. But today, through the gospel of Jesus Christ, through the truth that Jesus is Lord of all, because of this story that we read about here today, we can see that all may come, regardless of background. What good news. The gospel is preached to Gentiles. Oh, I wish that I would appreciate this a whole lot more than I feel like I do right now. And that you'd appreciate it a whole lot more than you may, not, may or may not feel right now. But to be an outsider. And God says, no longer. You're an insider through Jesus. Through the gospel of Jesus. What good news. Well, what happens after that? Not only do the Gentiles get to hear the gospel, but the Holy Spirit is poured out on Gentiles. The Holy Spirit is poured out on the Gentiles. I love what it says in verse 47. Here, Peter sees what's happened. The Holy Spirit's poured out. It's just like a Pentecost. We saw Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. People were believing. Jews were believing in Jerusalem. The good news about Jesus and what happened? The Spirit was poured out on everybody. I mean, I an amazing scene, an amazing scene. People are speaking in languages that they'd never learned before. And what we have right here is a Gentile Pentecost. The Holy Spirit is poured out on Gentiles. The, and, and, and it's evident. Even those that are circumcised, they're, they're just scratching their heads going, this is amazing. I, I'm a Jew, or maybe I became a Jew through, through a process, but, but here now, uncircumcised people, non-Jews, you know, they're serving up bacon sandwiches later. They've just received the Holy Spirit. This is amazing. 
This is amazing. Who can stand in God's way? That's Jesus. He's Lord of all. And, and Peter, you could almost ask him, like, what else is there to do? All the barriers have been removed. What are we going to do? Can anyone withhold these people from being baptized? I'm sure you're just like, this is, this is amazing, but how can I stand in God's way? No, no one can. Why? Because Jesus has shown that he is Lord of all. God the Father has shown that he has chosen Cornelius and his family. The Spirit has shown that he has come to indwell and fill and empower people simply through faith in Jesus. Who can argue with that? No one can. I'm so glad this wasn't Peter's idea. I'm so glad this wasn't any of the other apostles' idea, because if it was any of their ideas, we would have reason to second guess and say, is this, is this really the way God wanted things to go? No, Peter is, is almost sitting there as a spectator. He shares the good news, but he just sees all this happening, and he's drawn here to this city to talk with this centurion, and the Spirit is poured out. What else can we do? Let them be baptized, because Jesus is Lord of all. The gospel can go to all. Praise God for that. Friends, we got to remember that our faith didn't originate in the United States of America. Our faith didn't originate in the Protestant Reformation of the 16th century in Europe. Our faith didn't originate with the founding of the Roman Catholic Church. Our faith didn't originate even with the apostles here. Our faith originated with a Jewish God-man who lived in Nazareth, who died on the cross for our sins and rose from the dead. Because he's Lord of all, the gospel can go to all. We are recipients. We're not creators. We're recipients of this good news. And Paul writes about this in, in Romans chapter 3, verses 28 to 30. Paul writes, We hold that one is justified or declared right before God by faith, trust in Jesus apart from the works of the law. Or is God the God of the Jews only? Is he not the God of the Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also, since God is one who will justify or declare right the circumcised by faith, that is the Jew, and the uncircumcised through faith, that is the Gentile. Friends, there aren't two gods or three gods or four gods or one God in many religions. There's one God, one God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And through him, Jew and Gentile, we can be made right before God. Romans 10, 11 to 13, Paul goes on to say something similar. He says, Scripture says, everyone, everyone without distinction who believes in Christ will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Because Jesus is Lord of all, the gospel can go to all. Friend, I know this, this may not even just make that big of an impression on you today. We live in a culture that just is so different from this culture where this was written, but yet I think the, the principle and the truth should hit us right between the eyes. Nevertheless, you've been brought in, not because you were, brought, you were born in the right home, you were born in the right church, you were born in the right community, 
You were born in the right country. You were born in the right time in human history. You are invited into the family of God because God said, my son Jesus Christ is Lord of all. He reaches people in Fairfax, Virginia. He reaches people in Buenos Aires, Argentina. He reaches people in Ukraine. He reaches people in southern Turkey and northern Syria. He reaches people in Tokyo, Japan. He reaches people in London, England. It doesn't matter where you come from. Jesus Christ is Lord of all. Therefore, the gospel can go to all. Praise be to God. This is good news for you and for me today. But it's not just good news for us. It's good news for that someone. That's someone that may feel geographically, they're my neighbor. They, they, they sit in the cubicle next to me. They, they drop their kids off at soccer practice and watch their soccer games just like I do on the sidelines. Yet they feel like they're a thousand miles away. What does this truth that Jesus is Lord of all mean for us today? How do we consider those who may feel far from God? And in closing, we just want to ask, what does this mean for Monday? What does this mean for Monday? Think about that one that I asked you to think about earlier. What, what is it about them that makes them feel like they're just so far away from God? It might be religion. It might be religion. I, I came across this article that was, uh, this study that was put together by the University of, of Virginia. Any calves out there? All right. Sorry, if Virginia Tech put it together, I would have used them. But uh, University of Virginia came out with it. So no rivalries here, right? But they said this, this is from 2021, it talked about Fairfax County obviously being the most populous county in, northern, in, in Virginia, but it also has the most diverse religious background in, in the Commonwealth, which is, 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 I guess that's to be expected, right? Fairfax County in Northern Virginia has twice the population as the next most populated county. Uh, it's home to 627 religious congregations, groups that have declared to be, we're a congregation like Fairfax Bible, we are a religious congregation, 627. Fairfax also boasts the most religiously diverse congregations with more Buddhist, Hindu, Jewish, Mormon, and Muslim congregations than any other locality in the Commonwealth. And so we, we come first in our county for those that uh, practice Hinduism, uh, those that are, 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 are Jewish, uh, that practice Judaism, those that are Mormon, those that are Buddhist, and those that are Muslim who practice Islam. And to think about this, such different religious backgrounds, and, and here we are living in this community, and, and friends, because Jesus is Lord of all, the gospel can go to all. You, you may be in conversations, maybe even this week, maybe even later at a Super Bowl party in your neighborhood where you're coming across someone with a different religious background. Friend, Jesus is Lord of all. Jesus is Lord of all, even amongst those who do not yet confess Jesus as Lord. We can go with the boldness and courage and patience and sensitivity and compassion to declare without apology Jesus is Lord of all. There is no religious boundary that is too big for the gospel of Jesus Christ to overcome. And so when you're in these conversations, show that Jesus is Lord. When you're in, in moments where you feel and you can see the neighbor is hurting, show them that Jesus is Lord. When, when you get into moments where your kids are playing together, show them that Jesus is Lord. Well, it's not just religion. 
It could be ethnicity or, or culture or language. Friends, Jesus is Lord of all. Pray for opportunities to bridge that gap. Say, Lord, you did it for Peter and Cornelius. Couldn't you do it for me too? Couldn't you provide a way to show us how I could, I could show some common love that they would experience and feel? Friends, don't be afraid. Don't shy away. Remember, Jesus is Lord of all. But maybe, finally, maybe that barrier with that one isn't, Religious, maybe it's not ethnic or cultural or, or language. Maybe it's personal background. Maybe their story has been so rough, so bad, so full of sin and brokenness, you just feel like there's just no good news that could save their situation. Friend, Jesus is Lord of all. Don't forget where you came from. Don't forget your experience. Don't forget that we were all born in trespasses and sins, but God, because he's rich and mercy, made us alive together with Christ. For by grace you're saved through faith, and this is not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, so that none of us can boast. Jesus is Lord of all, and he can step into those moments when you show the grace and love and mercy of Jesus for that someone that feels a thousand miles away, and you can say, you know what, I was a thousand miles away too, but I've come to see that Jesus is Lord, and he offers forgiveness of sins to you. He shows no partiality if you would just come to him and receive his son, Jesus Christ, as Lord and as Savior. For those who are the farthest away. And I want to invite the worship team to come up. We're going to sing a song and move into our family chat. But I just want to ask you today. Maybe you are that someone. Maybe you're here in close proximity to us here today in this room. And you think, I feel close, but my heart and my mind tells me I'm a thousand miles away from this thing. I don't know if I could ever get over this barrier to becoming a part of the family of God. I want to invite you today, listen to Peter's words. Jesus is impartial. Jesus is Lord of all. You, you, you here today can have your sins forgiven if you would look to Jesus, the one who lived a perfect life for you, the one who came and put on human flesh for you, the one who came to be close to you, the one who's seen all of your sins and all of your failures, and he said, I want to die for you on that cross the one who was raised from the dead for you and the one who's coming once again as judge but who can give you new life forever and ever. Oh, that you'd see today that Jesus is Lord of all and because of that, the gospel message, this message of Christianity, it's for you. It's for you. Oh, I, I pray that today you would, you would take a moment and just think, if there's no more barriers left, what's holding me back? What's holding me back? Uh, you know, we're not going to have a traditional prayer time today because we've got our family chat, but I, I don't want to take away any opportunities from anyone in this room. If you feel today, I want to confess Jesus is my Lord. Oh, would you come and talk to somebody? Come and talk to me. Talk to Matt, one of the elders, one of our leaders here. Anybody that you could tell, I, I could see that they've been coming here for a while. We want to share the good news of Jesus Christ with you. 
We want to see all those final barriers removed because they've already been moved through, removed through Jesus. You can be brought into the family by faith today. I want to invite you to stand. We're going to sing a song. I want to close this in prayer. Father in heaven, thank you so much that you sent your son Jesus because you're impartial. You came to us Gentile pork eaters and you said, I want to bring them into my family. Thank you so much that you've brought us Gentiles into your family. And we recognize it's not because of our goodness. It's not because of our righteousness. In fact, our righteousness is like filthy rags. We've, we've come in because of Jesus. He is Lord of all. Lord, we pray right now as each of us think of that someone that feels like they're a thousand miles away. I pray that you would allow us to see that there are opportunities for us to show and demonstrate that Jesus is Lord of all and the good news of Jesus Christ can reach them too. Would you do that for us in the days to come? Easter's just a few months away. Lord, we would love to see our baptism tank filled with people who are seeing that Jesus is Lord. Maybe there's somebody here today, Father. Move upon their heart just like you did for Cornelius. Draw them to yourself that they would confess that Jesus is Lord. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.